Cue sleigh bells. Ho, ho, ho. It's UK Motor Talk. Christmas 2021. Well, hello everyone and welcome back. It's great to see you all, hear you all. None of those things. It's great to talk to you all. Let's do that. I'm Mike, hello. I'm Jim, hello. I'm Graham, hello. And sadly no Dave this time. After what happened last time, well, the less said about that, the better. How is everyone anyway? <laughs> Not too bad. I've yep. been struggling to uh, to book my third jab this week, but I think I've finally managed it at a centre that doesn't involve paying £7 a minute to park or uh, trying to head to Brighton at rush hour. So I was reasonably happy oh, with that. Ridiculous. And apart from that, I don't know, it's cold, it's dark, it's wet, it's windy, it's winter. But on the plus side, it is nearly Christmas, which means that you need to be stuck wherever you want to be stuck for Christmas. And hopefully that means you get to see the people you love come round and that's that's nice because we haven't been able to do that for a while properly have we we managed to last year didn't we we had sort of 50 of our closest family members round for cheese and wine and discuss matters of business and then therefore it was allowed under the regulations wasn't it so that was okay i, I thought that was okay with cheese and wine no? it, de- it definitely was okay yeah as long as you have cheese and wine at your business meeting with 50 socially distanced people you're well away the lifeblood of any business fine. meeting yeah, absolutely. I'm assuming you were the quiz master as well. <laughs> oh, definitely necessary. The, the cheese and wine parties, I think, just to get everyone together. Um, although, in all seriousness, we are hoping that you're, you're keeping you're keeping safe. Uh, best way to do that is probably just to stay in your car. So just do that. Listen to us in your car instead. Don't go anywhere. Don't talk to your family. Just stay in your car and listen to us. And you can download the whole back catalogue. Uh, and then you can just sit there and listen to us forever. Can you think of anything better this Christmas time? You're welcome. (laughs) Top motoring tip there. There we go. Well, it wouldn't be a podcast after an F1 finale. And I'm going to say finale. I'm going to use the term. I know you've been. uh, I know you've been chomping at the bit to discuss this. I I have. Yes. You you know me. I've been thoroughly excited about this. But it it was a, a proper finale. It was a proper show. I would argue, and we certainly need to mention this at least briefly, I think. At least, well, as as, uh, I'd forewarned our illustrious editor before this podcast, my conversation might not be too brief, but he said that's not a problem. I'm very good at editing. So uh, that concludes our roundup of the Formula (laughs) One season, and congratulations. So there we go. But no, I mean, it was... uh, 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 Yes, it, it was certainly entertainment. It was certainly a show. It certainly got pulses racing... Uh, I don't think the whole event was uh, conducted in the most appropriate manner by the race director. I think that would be fairly safe to assume. You would be correct there. <laughs> I think the uh, the lack of uh, it's the lack of consistency in some of the decisions that gets me. And the one thing is okay one minute, and then it's not okay the next, and then uh, decisions being made, and then decisions being changed. I mean, we uh, we had a little chat today you and i gates didn't we about two particular on off track leaving the track gaining an advantage excursions one where it was Max very formal I mean, when you called me in i thought i was being fired um uh, i don't think well, we've yeah, ever had such just, a serious uh, chat about anything just take a seat and just just have a look at this and uh, and see what you think but the you, you'd quite agree that the uh max running wide in uh qatar and Lewis running wide in Abu Dhabi were almost carbon copies, weren't they? You couldn't really get yeah. m- 
two similar uh, occurrences such as that. And th the fact that Lewis didn't have to give the place back, they said he'd given the advantage back, which was nonsense because Max was ahead. So he maintained the lead by running wide and taking an advantage. So he should have had a five-second penalty, or Massey should have got on the blower and said, I'm going to make you an offer here, which is to give the place back. What do you think about that? Take it or leave it. So that would have maybe changed the, the outcome, uh, or certainly the early part of the race. Massey's uh, offers on the phone were uh, getting towards a sort of godfather. I mean, I was seriously expecting one <laughs> of the uh, protagonists to wake up with a horse's head in their bed. It was quite threatening, I think. I reckon he's the banker on Deal or No Deal. <laughs> I don't think the, the offer and the way you put the offer across to Red Bull Verstappen uh, in uh, in Qatar was was anything out of the ordinary. I'm fairly certain that's a conversation that Charlie has had with the teams up and down the pit lane many times over the years. Are you going to give the place back or am I going to make you give the place back? OK, yeah, we'll give the place back. And it's, and it's very clear, you know, where you stand and why. But why? In a carbon copy of that move, was Lewis not ordered to give the place back to Max? I'm sat here as a, I'm I'm not a Lewis fan. Uh, I like some of the way Max Verstappen goes about his racing. I like his speed, his commitment. Some of his moves are are way over the line, and he certainly does need to to calm it down a bit. But I'm but between Max and Lewis, I'm not really too fussed out of out of who won them to be honest as long as the the best man over the course of the season was a deserving winner then then I feel a sense of justice with that you know I'd uh, I've, I've got drivers who I'm much more a fan of so I say this is as, as being relatively neutral that the decisions went the wrong way on those two or they should have both gone the same way with those two moves but I, th I think regardless of that chicane events and whether Lewis got a penalty uh, for that or not. I think Lewis was, he, he always had the long run pace on Max over the weekend. Max pulled a very special lap out in qualifying, but Lewis had the legs on him during the race without a shadow of a doubt. And mm. Red Bull did the only thing they could, which was to roll the dice every single time an opportunity presented itself to roll the dice. They had the advantage of being in second, so they could do what they liked and they could always do the opposite to Mercedes which they duly did but the the signal of lapped cars will not be allowed to overtake everyone then shouts at Michael Massey and then some lapped cars will be allowed to overtake and the I, I mean I, I don't really get this uh, lapped cars may now overtake rule when we have a safety car I, I don't quite see why it's handing the advantage of a lap back to somebody who's a lap down. You know, c can you imagine if, um, let's say, Max and, and Lewis had had a coming together in the first corner, there was a complete 50-50. Max is out of the race and Lewis manages to limp back to the pits and they have to change the front wing, rip a bit of bodywork off, and he's lost a lap in that meantime. Later on in the race, there's a safety car period. Lewis Hamilton is allowed to unlap himself and then therefore join the queue in 15th place. And then if he's 15th, within a couple of laps, he'll have worked his way up to 10th, got a point, and won the championship. That I, I don't get why lap cars get a lap back under the safety car. Surely the easiest way would be to say, line the cars up in race order. If you're about to be lapped, you now get lapped. That's it. So you almost treat the queue behind the safety car as if it was a live race and all the runners that are about to be lapped get shown the blue flags, drop behind, and that's a better way of doing it, surely. 
but but ever since that regulation's brought in, which is quite a number of years now, um, it's it's always well, I think almost always, possibly there have been some exceptions, but in in almost all cases, all of the cars have been let through, um, and I think there was not been a case that i can remember where that's actually brought the two main protagonists quite so close together it just hasn't worked out that way in the past so uh, i think michael's initial decision not to let anybody pass was contrary to the to the spirit and absolute letter of the rule rule book the sporting regulations but he then fairly quickly decided to reverse that decision which was sufficient to allow some of the cars through and almost as though it were engineered. I don't think it was, <laughs> uh, but almost as though it were engineered to bring the two protagonists within a few yards of each other's. I, I don't think that was the intention, but I think that's what happened. Uh, and, and, you know, if you're going to have a sport set of sporting regulations, try and stick somewhere near them. Don't make it up on the spot. And I don't like the idea of, of plea bargaining for... Um, for uh, decisions to be reversed and certainly i don't think it's a it's a good idea uh, to have those uh, in public uh, if you're going to do anything uh, do it behind closed doors i'm sure you're quite right james charlie used to do these things in the past and uh, they were resolved amicably perhaps but certainly not in uh, you know washing your laundry in public which is what happened and i think offering a deal uh, in Qatar was was just not the way to do things. It's Michael Massey's inexperience, I think. It's the consistency of the instant uh, custard. So one time you make the packet up and it's fine. The next time it's just snot. I have no idea why they can't do... The, you know, the two things should be the same each time and I just don't really understand how they've come to uh, this conclusion that, that it's fine to have continued the way they did, but there you go. I guess it's one of these controversies that will go down in the annals of time. I think it will, but the main source of irritation from the drivers and the teams is they don't know the playing field. The drivers now simply do not know if it's okay to push another driver wide, to run wide, to take an advantage, to say, okay, I'll back off by half a tenth and and give him a bit of time back. That's okay, because when he did it, he got that. And and it ends up very, very mucky. You know, the, the rules need to be very clear. I think we've had a lot of people comparing Formula One to other sports and they've said, you know, Arsenal are 7-0 up at 90 minutes against whoever they're playing and the referee says, right, we're now going to have a golden goal and uh, I'm going to send off four Arsenal players. I mean, that's that's not quite the right analogy. It was certainly the right analogy for the last couple of laps of that race, but I think it almost ignores the rest of the season that's gone into it. I think Massey's aim was to uh, to have the race finish as a race rather than finish behind the safety car or behind the yellow flag or virtual safety car or whatever. Uh, and actually all the teams had said, and all the teams were unanimous, and they'd said, no, if, if at all humanly possible, we want to finish the race racing not behind a safety car because it, it ruins the show. I mean, hindsight's a wonderful thing. I think the best thing would have been to do would have been to throw a red flag the minute it happened, throw a red flag, and then you'd have six laps, Lewis versus Max, both on brand new tyres, off you go. You've got six laps to decide this thing, get on with it. And I think Max's single lap pace on low fuel was closer to Lewis or even ahead of it, so it would have made it a very, very, very good race at that stage. I can understand the thinking behind wanting to finish on a racing lap. What a show. 
five laps to, you know, Formula One wants sprint races, there's your ultimate sprint race. I think overall putting the um, the, the events of the last couple of races to one side, uh, I mean, well, well done, Max, you know, round of applause, you know, he's beaten one of, uh, yeah. or arguably the greatest, some people will say greatest, some people will say second, third, whatever. Um, it, it's undeniable that Lewis is, it's undeniable that Lewis is the, best of the current generation when combined with that Mercedes car and he's and he's beaten him I think on balance Lewis probably deserved to win at the weekend but I think on balance Max overall deserved to win the championship I, I don't know where you feel on that yeah I do I, I, I pretty much agree with that some of the lost points Max has had through no fault of his own but that's racing it's I'm, I'm not sure really uh, he has the disadvantage of youth in that respect, and and uh, you know uh, that has always been the case. I think to to some degree that the the old guard, which Lewis now is, to be honest, uh, have always had decisions made in their favour, and the young chargers have not. I, I remember Alonso and Schumacher all those many years ago. I think it was Alonso's first race, and he dared to overtake Schumacher on the outside. It was a hell of a storm, but. Going back to, to what you were saying, I, th- I think as a season, I think it was just one of the best seasons I've seen. And I've been following you know, F1 since 58. So uh, I, I certainly one of the best seasons I've seen. Whether it was the right result, I don't know. But I think there was a consistent balance between them. Things got a little bit uh, unfortunate at times. And some of it just wasn't pretty. But uh, still some great racing in there. And, and probably both equally deserve to win. Yeah, we can't let the FIA decisions, Massey's decisions, the inconsistencies, things like that. I think that is in danger of overshadowing what has been, as you say, one of the best Formula One seasons for a long, long time. You know, even when you look at 2007, 2008 battles or Schumacher and Hackenden's battles in 98 and 99, each team then tended to have a dominant weekend and you almost knew from the first lap of Friday who was going to be quickest and who was going to win. It was just a case of race weekend by race weekend. They go four points, four points, four points and and go that way. This has been a real, oh, I don't know. And you can have great pacing qualifying that doesn't translate to the race so it's it's but you know i think it's kept us all guessing all the way through and uh yeah c- completely agree one of the best seasons for a long long time i suppose was it some form of justice in the end that that mercedes won the constructors because i think that's probably been mm. somewhat forgotten i think it had almost been Recent. forgotten by everybody in the mercedes team as well so i think <laughs> this this finally puts to rest the argument or the assertion that the teams always make is that yes the drivers is nice but we care about the constructors nobody at mercedes really seemed to care that they just won the constructors championships on sunday did they they were all mortified and and red bull didn't really seem to care that they'd lost the constructors championship i mean it was a long shot for them to win it anyway but nobody seemed to care about the constructors Red Bull don't directly sell cars in the way that Mercedes did, and the reason I I think for the two protests, mm-hmm. and 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 I think the two protests were cooked up um, by Mercedes chairman who was there and their very senior legal people in Toto's office uh, on the track because they felt corporately they had to protest. I think there's a separation between what they wanted to achieve by way of a protest on the race result and what they felt they needed to achieve in respect of the constructors. 
title, even though they'd won that, they just felt that it, it wasn't right and they should protest that as well. I, I don't think they'll proceed uh, ultimately with the protest because I think it's um, not in their long-term interest to do so. No, I think you're right, but I think, the yeah, they, they had to be seen to be doing something uh, because otherwise, you know, to, how how close would the board get to saying, well, we don't agree with the interpretation or the application of the rules. We're not spending all this money to have the race decided ad hoc by a race director with a few laps to go, robbing us of, of winning the Drivers' Championship. So we're off effective immediately and we're taking all our engines with us. You know, it, it would wipe out half the grid uh, or four teams out of the grid, certainly. So, yeah, I think there was a, a bit of political manoeuvring going on there uh, but having seen a few videos of Toto Wolf from the early hours of Monday morning I think he seemed to have pretty much got over it as well or he'd, uh, he'd drunk so much I think he'd have forgotten about it by the early hours of Monday morning. I, I think you're, you're probably right yes I've, I've seen the video and most people I'm sure will have done but uh, on a tangent if you like I'm reminded of an interview I did with Adrian Newey some years ago and, and he said, that's my job. My job is to find holes in the regulations that we can exploit as a team. That's what I do. And that's consistently what he has done. Mercedes have been trying to do the same thing. That's in part what it's about, certainly the construction regulations, but the sporting regulations are, are, are a different matter. I hope, if, uh, if nothing else, the FIA learn from this a little bit and we have a slightly clearer direction and rules and, and maybe somebody a bit more uh, dictatorial in the seat but uh, I think we'll probably uh, wrap up Formula One if we haven't bored you to tears already by uh, just saying well done everyone what a good season and uh, pre-season testing for next year has already started. Nice to see some of the youngsters out there in F1 cars doing really really well on their first uh, first uh, outings. Uh, shows a difference perhaps in the new tyres because as I understand it most of the youngsters are driving current cars most of the existing drivers are driving the the, the newer tyres the newer wheel size and the youngsters all seem to be very very quick much quicker than the the older drivers which is um, if you, you just look through the times from today you know two or three seconds uh, in the in the fastest laps difference I think all the uh, the older drivers were probably hung over. <laughs> Quite possibly. And uh, just to uh, just to wrap up as well by saying uh, a man who is almost certainly hung over at the moment and that is uh, that is Kimi Raikkonen. Uh it would uh, it would be a shame to mention Formula 1 without mentioning Kimi. Kitos Kimi, thank you for all the uh, the wonderful racing and wonderful memories. Uh it's it's been a, a pleasure watching him for the last 20 odd years and his uh, his couldn't care less attitude is uh, quite refreshing <laughs> uh, but just his view of uh, I've always done whatever makes me happy mm. and that's it yeah. and actually that's probably wise words we could all live uh, we could all live by so no, if the I, world was quite agree. more like Kimmy I think everybody would be a lot happier I would certainly uh, uh, applaud that he's brought us a lot of pleasure over the years by playing his own particular furrow uh, and, and good for him, and let's uh, hope his um, world is greatly improved uh, as he gets out of Formula One. Kitos, Kimi. We've been sort of backwards and forwards in recent days uh, about uh, people's competence to drive cars at all. Mm. And, you know, I, I think we should be part of an education process of trying to educate people. Um, and uh, James sent me. Uh, a, a very entertaining piece, but 
Uh, I must tell the story that uh, my good lady the other evening was trying to help an aged person. I try not to be um, gendered. An aged person in a supermarket car park. And the person concerned said, I can't make these things work. And this was, uh, you know, the fob. And it took a moment or two for my good lady to realise that the fob said Fiat. And the person concerned was trying to get into a Peugeot. Oh, my God. And the, and the person concerned said, well, it's the same colour. Oh, well, no. Near enough. It, it must be all right. Yeah, then, yeah I, I think oh. we do need a little more education. Perhaps that person should have an endorsement on their licence. Not allowed to drive unless you can at least pick the right bloody car. I, th- I think probably an eye test might be uh, the most appropriate thing. Or, or, or uh, another driving test. I guess it answers the question, who's buying... I say current. I've, there's not very many Fiat's you can buy current shaped Fiat's, but who are buying Fiat's and Peugeot's? These are the kind of people that don't even know what car they drive. They just know it's, it's a car. It's great. Blind people, clearly. <laughs> people that, that have limited or partial sight. Well, see, uh, what are the two things? Why, why does the, uh, the the bits on the steering wheel that you press to sound the horn, why does it have those little bumps on it? Oh, it's Braille. It's so blind drivers know that it's the horn. Oh, right. Fair enough. Okay. Well, they were, why do level crossings make a noise when they go down? So the blind drivers know when to stop. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, like a pedestrian crossing. That's it, you got it. I've long said that uh, when we've gone through instruction manuals, if people need them in large print or braille, they are available uh, in the car. <laughs> and to see if anyone notices. But uh, we had a lovely lady come in, she had a great sense of humour. And she had a, a motability car, a husband was quite blind and she said oh it's my husband's car so he's blind so it's probably best not to let him drive um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and she looked at me and cracked up thankfully but yeah she had very very good sense of humour this lady she said yeah no I try not to let him any longer only at weekends maybe the roads are quiet <laughs> but it's yeah. the um, yeah sort of the, the lack of uh, common sense we mentioned uh, owner's manuals there I had a wonderful pop up on my uh, Ford Pass app uh, this week about uh, one of the the cars on there, and it said, uh, tyre pressure warning light activated. And underneath it were two little drop-down boxes that you could click on. What's happening, and what should <laughs> I do about it? What's happening? And, and, and I clicked on the first drop-down un- under what's happening, sincerely just praying that it said, well, what the do you think's happening? Your tyre pressure's alone. <laughs> and then click on what should I do about it pump them up i mean it's 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 i think it's a sad indictment on modern society isn't it that tire pressure warning light needs to be explained uh, to that level of detail it's it's ridiculous but it's it's dumbing everything down isn't it if the light doesn't go off you don't check your tire pressures i mean it's i, I like the you know a tpms system for showing you the the current live pressures that's very handy it does save you checking them all the time you can just look at the screen and know that they're about right but um yeah it doesn't need a huge amount of explanation does it Let's your car your car says make sure there's nobody sat in the back seat when you get out of it as if you said, oh, sorry, I forgot you were there. I've worked out how to turn that off now. Because I think, yeah, I saw a post on uh, on one of the Mackie forums. And, and it basically it freaked the person out because they thought the only reason it's telling me that is because it thinks there's somebody sat in there, like with the pressure sensors that tell you, you know, it knows when somebody sat there. So it tells you to put your seatbelt on. And, and she's found herself extra paranoid because she thinks the car thinks there's somebody sat in the back. So, <laughs> But again, it's, you know, what, what's that a warning to? Don't forget your children. 
I so thought you were going to say she found herself exercising the car or something, you know. Just assumed there was somebody sat in the back. Oh, God, it's Bob Marley. Uh, you know, she, who, who's going to be sat in the back of the car? Don't don't forget. Don't forget. They sat there judging your driving, seeing if you remember what car you bought. Of all the random dead people to pick. <laughs> I was waiting to cross a, a zebra crossing in Brighton a week or so ago. And when one guy pulled up at the, the, the front of the queue... I sort of tapped on his window and, and said to him, did you realise your tyre was flat? And, I mean, this, this front-right tyre was just about off the rim. Oh, I wonder what the noise was. That's criminally <laughs> stupid. There should be an automatic withdrawal of your licence. If you can't figure out there's a hell of a lot of noise coming from the front-right, eh, tyre's down. It's, I, I appreciate we are all car guys here, to, to a greater or lesser extent. We are, we are all car guys. We, we can understand at least the basic bits, regardless of whether you're into fixing it and pulling it to bits and putting it back together again. You kind of understand. It's a really weird thudding noise going on. It's either someone trapped in the boot or the tyre's <laughs> flat. I don't remember listening to this. When did it have such a good beat? <laughs> the um, noise from the boot is probably the hostage you bought with the car when you bought it. If you, you will probably remember that Brad, my beloved V70, used to almost always be set up in murder spec. So it had a, a, a huge tarpaulin in the back, a shovel, some rope, probably some gaffer tape and, and cable ties, because you need those, those things just generally, I think, if you have an old car. Well, no, you, you, you sold it before they could catch up with you. Oh, that's right, yes. It's now been turned into a fridge. Destroyed the evidence. That'd be a bloody big fridge, wouldn't it? It would be a huge fridge. It'd be like one of those industrial fridge freezers you could walk into. And it would be beige. Or hide a lot of bodies in, couldn't you? Yeah, you could. I've, I've got a hankering for another Volvo again. I've, I think I mentioned this last time. I, I can't, there's something about it. They're just, they're just rather brilliant, aren't they? You're speaking to a convert. I'm on my third one for what I want from them. They're perfect. Don't suit everybody, mm. but for what I need, they're just perfect. But to be fair, if, you, if it's not the car that suits you, just buy more cars. That's the answer. Spread those carbon footsteps. That's what you do, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I do, yeah. Although I think I'm down to about four and a half now, aren't I? Four and a half cars, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. you counting so the onion as half a car at the moment? No, I, I, I count the fist as half a car because you own the other half of it. Yeah, I own the better half that you haven't ruined and stone chipped the windscreen, <laughs> etc. At the side where you haven't destroyed the suspension, that side. We fixed it. It was fine. Anyway, we were speaking earlier about consistency, weren't we? And yes. today. We've what, consistently gone off topic? Consist we are consistent in that, that's most certain. Toyota have been beating a drum about hydrogen and how fantastic hydrogen is and how we should just look at hydrogen and EV maybe is not really the way, but hydrogen is the way. Now, we came to the conclusion that Japan, geographically, is very dense, which makes getting electric to the cars very difficult and parking is difficult anyway, which is the reason why they probably wouldn't want to push it because it's bad news for Toyota. I think size probably comes into it as well, doesn't it? Because if you look at oh, it most EVs that come out of the major manufacturers these days, the one thing they invariably have in common is they are massive. They are Hinge. all the, mm. the biggest cars in the range by some margin and the heaviest as well. And Japan yes. uh, has, has pioneered the K-car over the last couple of decades as, as being small, efficient, and the best way that, that you can possibly do things and you can go about motoring. So it's, yeah, the, a big lumbering two-ton-plus EV is uh, a bit at odds, isn't it? Yeah, packaging doesn't really work in that way, does it? You, you can't imagine having a, a KEV, uh, and if you do, then the range is going to be rubbish, I'm sure. Then you've got to find someone to charge it. So I, I kind of get why they wouldn't be be promoting EV as such. 
Although they've been talking about hydrogen for a long time, they heavily subsidise buying cars like the Mirai. I think by almost half they are subsidised. It's, it's a really good deal. They make a loss, effectively. It costs more to produce them than, than people pay for them because of the subsidy they get back. However, they have surprised all of us by releasing, what was it, 15 cars that they're going to be EV by 2030. 30? 30 cars by 2030. 30 cars, yeah. That's between Lexus and Toyota, isn't it? Uh, oh, yes, that's true. Yeah, 30, uh, 30 across the two. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a bit of everything in there. I think there's some supercars, some off-roadery type cars. There's, there's everything in there. And, uh, yeah, they've been waxing lyrical about the benefits of EV, which came as a bit of a surprise to me. But we've heard some uh, rather... I, I, I just hope some of these rumours are true. I've, we have heard rumours the MR2 might be coming back, and I've, I've got a, a very soft spot for, uh, for MR2s. I, I loved my MR2. So, uh, actually, if they came up with uh, an EV... To 250 mile range MR2, I'd uh, I could be quite tempted to uh, get on board with that. I think, yeah, mid motor, yeah, that's, that's the thing is a midship runabout two seater. So midship, well, what would be midship? Would you just just put the battery in the back just to give you that wonderful pendulum lift off oversteer effect and just bring back memories? That would be good. I do like the idea. I like the idea that they could do something very retro with it if they wanted to. Unlike the Supra, which is obviously. Uh, BMW Z4 underneath, which is not a bad thing. We've said this before. You know, Z4 is a fine car and it makes sense to borrow the bits and pieces and, and chuck them across. But it would be nice to have something with a real character to it. And I don't mean cutesy, you know, like Honda have done or I guess Mini have, have done to a certain point. Nothing quite so so kitsch, perhaps, but something something that is a bit retro, a bit cool in a Hyundai kind of way. I th- it's got potential, isn't it? Uh, I think so. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Hyundai and and particularly seem to be bringing back that that retro 80s look to things slightly modernized and and brought up to date with funky leds and materials but people seem to be uh to be hopping on board with that and i uh, i think that's quite a good thing to be honest because they look like cars that we all had growing up and nostalgia is a wonderful thing isn't it yes it's quite and- <laughs> quite a selling point nostalgia it's always worked very well in the american market it, it, it definitely is and you can see a number of companies that do this, and not a, a car manufacturer, Playmobil. Playmobil is one that's that's really going for the dad market at the moment because they've done Back to the Future, then Back to the Future 1, 2 and 3 add-on bits for the Back to the Future cars. They've done Scooby-Doo the Mystery Machine and bits and pieces, but the other day they released the A-Team van. Then they've released an Aston Martin DB5 with gadgets. These are all about sort of 60 quid. They're not cars that necessarily you're going to buy for your three-year-old to play with and now they've done a night rider now my son has seen night rider because i quite liked it i thought he would quite like it he's a two and a half whatever how many two and a half three-year-olds six-year-olds are familiar with the likes of night rider and the a-team i think it's pretty obvious who they're barreling straight for isn't it well, I don't know. I think the A-Team is certainly going to be one of the hits of uh, Christmas if one looks at toy shops. And I was in the country's sort of largest toy shop uh, two or three weeks ago. And A-Team stuff everywhere. The one that I found very bizarre was Lego Friends. Where the hell did that arrive from? Well, oh, that's, that's... Uh, that's been out for a long, long time. I, uh, yeah. I bought one of those for my wife for a, a Christmas present a few years ago. I still can't follow the logic of it, but there you go. They're definitely going for the going for the dad market, I think, with that. And I guess it's the same same sort of things happening with EVs. Eighties stuff just was good, wasn't it? There's, there was a, a period, the eighties, I think, and the noughties. And I don't know if this is just because it's my seminal years. The noughties had some good stuff, good music, and other bits and pieces in there as well. And 
I, I like the fact that we see this pattern. You, you see a, a style of the 70s, 80s, 90s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and it repeats itself in music and fashions and everything else. Everyone thinks they're being new. and like You see all the kids wandering around in white socks with a school uniform on, thinking that this is the latest style. People have been doing this for years and years and years. But I certainly understand, and I, I fully appreciate and applaud manufacturers going for our retro tastes. And I like the idea that something like the MR2 would be a resto mod type of look. I think what they've maybe cottoned on to, though, is the how much money some of these famous cars from the 80s, 90s and early noughties are selling for now that they're yes. rare and unusual and there aren't many left. And they think, oh, well, if, if, if that old thing from 1992 can sell for £100,000, if we make our car look like that old thing from 1992, then loads of people will buy it. Is that, you know, the, the cars that you lusted after when you were growing up and you can never quite yeah. afford. Uh, or cars you did have. people now... Yeah, or yeah, cars that you did have, and and you either want to recapture your youth or uh, attain your dream car. But now you you're grown up, and you've uh, you've got a job, and you've got the money to go out and pay silly amounts of money for some of these cars. Or is it just trying to cash in on that? But as I say, I think it's a it's a brilliant thing. If VW bought out on one of their smaller EV platforms a car that looked absolutely identical to the Mark II Golf. Yeah. Uh, with some updated bits for health and I'll safety regulations and things like that. I, how many yeah. of those would, would they sell? Cert- certainly two, because you'd have one and I'd have one. <laughs> yes, I would. Um, and I this, can't think we'd be alone in that. This is Mini's MO, though, wasn't it? They they appealed for years to people that drove Minis. They weren't designed for people that just passed their test because they were, a, you know, and, and always have been a, a premium, the original premium, in inverted commas, Super Mini. And they oh. appealed to people that had original minis first up people have that nostalgia and then the whole sort of cool uh, again i think that the current minis is quite classless like the original one was admittedly you don't necessarily get um, rock stars and everyone else turning up to them all painted and wouldn't pick it up but they are relatively classless by comparison and they're an expensive car frankly and perhaps they've lost their way but certainly in the beginning they did the same thing. They appealed to people's nostalgia, and it's, it's obviously worked really well for them because they've they've done particularly well as as a brand. A classic example is Fiat Five Hundred, isn't it? You know that is all of a, a throwback to the fifties uh, and the and the sixties. Well, let's let's think of a statistic here. I mean, at least sixty-seven percent of them are driven by daddy's girls. <laughs> That's that is the image of the Fiat Five Hundred now, though, isn't it? It is the car that daddy buys. To be fair, though, I was going to say, it's, it's got to screw up Fiat statistics a little bit, hasn't it? Because uh, actually they'd be looking at their figures and say, well, actually, no, they're almost exclusively bought on finance or cash by blokes in their mid to late 40s. <laughs> sort of. now, who they're actually driven by is something entirely different. Yeah. The Instagram generation is who's driving them, and they will drive mm. them with a costume in one hand and uh, you know hair extensions in and everything else. It, it is, it, it's a terrible stereotype, but it's probably accurate, isn't it? Let's face it. Stereotypes come from somewhere. Predictably, then, I have asked for some Playmobil for Christmas, which is probably the first time <laughs> since I was about five. Um, or has, keeping... has your lad asked for a lot of Playmobil for Christmas? It's like when, he's, wait, when you wait. come back from town, you say, I've, uh, I've been shopping. I, I bought some things for, for, for my son, yes, who, who likes these things. And you show, all me the, you show me all these things that I know full well are for you. And I know they're for you because they just appear on your desk in your office and sit there for about six months before they get taken home. But um... I do have a lot of toy cars in my office. 
and uh, I, I used the, the toy tone cars completely accurately. There's uh, two very long shelves, the what seven foot, who knows, long, something like that, uh, above the desk, which are too deep in Hot Wheels. Uh, a lot of them did. Well, come they're longer home. than you, and you're almost six foot long, aren't you? So. According to me, anyway. <laughs> so you said we went out to Brands Hatch. We took a, a chap out with us who we uh, who we were entertaining. Who also was driving the car on the day, and you described yourself as just over six foot, and me as just under. I'm five foot eight. Um, so this, <laughs> well, I'm a lot is, under. In in the grand scheme of space and time and distance, if you think about how big the universe is, then yes. actually five foot eight to six foot is is just under, isn't it? You know. Yes. Like I say, how long yeah. have you been waiting? Well, relatively speaking, given how long the history of time is, not that long. Yeah, the the Hot Wheels cars, incidentally, are therapy. Uh, I, I can't remember if I've explained this before, but I do have a, uh, a habit of wanting to go out and buy cars, and so this is how I'm at car 40-something now. Uh, I do go out and just, and just have a hankering for buying things, hence the problem with the Volvo. Uh, and also, when I was flicking through Facebook uh, last week, managed to find, by chance... Dave's old Alfa Romeo. Yes. Oh, yeah, that was, that was a cracking find, wasn't it? That was really extraordinary, yes. It was a, a 156 estate. And it was pure chance, found it, sent it, said, I bet this is up your street. And he's like, That's, that is actually my old car. So if you, look, if, you, if you want to buy Dave's old car, then it's available probably still on Facebook. Um, you might not want to, but nevertheless, it's about 1,500 quid's worth of Alfa Romeo. So I have decided not to buy that. Uh, on Dave's advice, uh, but you go ahead. I'm sure it'll be fantastic. Yes, yeah, so th- this is this is the therapy. I bu- whenever I feel the urge to go and buy a car, I buy a buy a Hot Wheels one instead, and I bought a fantastic. I think it was a 190E, little blacked out Merc, proper gangster looking thing last, and that was definitely for me. Uh, although the other four or five that I came home with have gone into the Aussie's present pile of things. So there we go. Some of them do go to my to, to my child. Some of them do go to me, but the Playmobil is definitely going to me and. I doubt it, but I'm going to have to share it, which makes me very sad. But I did did show him Back to the Future for the first time the other day. All the clip where the car went back, and also the the clip where, as he described it, the train helps the car by pushing it along the rails <laughs> to get it back to back in time. So Choo Choo's helping. He's like, yes, yes, he is. The train's helping him get to 38 miles an hour. And he, he was he was very much enjoying that. So I guess we're going, I'm going to have to share. But there you go. I clearly fit into that dad nostalgia category and the moment manufacturers start releasing retro 80s cars as new cars again i'm just gonna be oh, so poor i think this whole christmas thing is really really overblown going into scrooge mode i mean I, i'm not sure that i even believe in santa claus anymore i write to him every year <laughs> and tell him i need really really need a 250 gto and he's just not delivered so but, you know, I, I have my serious doubts about his existence. Does a 250 GTO fit down your chimney? I could build a bigger chimney if that yeah. was what was on there. There we go. There we go. I can be certain of one thing. There's definitely going to be one jolly fat bearded man that's visiting my house this Christmas. That's me. <laughs> I like it when people send me uh, uh, really good videos and, and one that came my way from Mercedes and is available on YouTube for anybody to watch. I'm sure Andrew will put the uh, link up a, a little later on our site. Those of us who are a bit long in the teeth, like I am, the teeth that I've got left, uh, might remember that uh, Sterling Moss is, is classic drive, the Mille Mille, and the 722, the Mercedes that he won that race in with... Uh, 
Dennis Jenkinson sitting alongside him navigating. And 7.22 was his number because that was his start time in that race. And uh, it was the 1,000 miles from Brescia and, and to Rome and back. Mercedes have been still using, up until very, very recently, the original 722 race winning car. Now they've decided, uh, in deference, I, I think was a mark of respect to Sterling Moss's illustrious career, that they're finally going to put that in the museum in Stuttgart, Mercedes Museum, and keep it there. But they chose to celebrate that by, by taking it in a very, very early morning dash across London with... Uh, a number of uh, speed limits it looked like being broken, but then that was fine. There was a police escort that was actually waving them on. Some helicopter shots. It's very good, very short piece of film, well worth watching, and uh, significantly turning up at uh, Sterling's front door to be greeted by his son, Elliot, uh, at 7.22 in the morning. It's a great piece of oh, film. Go on amazing. YouTube and watch it. It, re it really is a good piece of film. I've been lucky enough to be driven by Sterling in a replica, but never in the original car. But um, that was very special, a Mercedes-owned replica. But the, the 722 is a, just one of the greatest racing cars, I think, of all time. That's epic. And in other epic journeys, I suppose, we've been following the, the P50 and as I understand, that has now made its way all the way down to, to Land's End. I saw him squeezing through the ticket booth, which I thought was hilarious, uh, following his other half to get to the sign and climbing out triumphantly, having bust his front door. He had to, to, to drive the last 50 miles or so with a ratchet strap holding the door shut. Uh, so that <laughs> finally given up. And that was the only way he could do it. So he was... <laughs> Presumably quite relieved, having not been able to stop for any reason uh, until he got down there to, to get out of the car at the end. But what an epic journey for that little car. Yeah, quite quite amazing. Uh, I don't know what finally uh, the amount of money you raised for charity, but uh, good on him. That was a really, really brave effort. At uh, a time of recording, £10,705. That's a good amount of money. Well done, him. What an yeah, epic that's incredible. Well done. Golf clap. Yeah, definitely. Definitely worth a clap. Substantial amount of money. Well done, he. So I guess on that note, we have reached Land's End. Oh, <laughs> he did it. He oh. went there. And all that really remains is to wish you a very Merry Christmas. We hope you have a fantastic one, whatever you're doing. And I guess we'll see you in the new year. Can I echo what Michael has just said? Do join us next year. 2022 looks like being a very, very good year for motorsport. And we've got lots of events planned. Uh, they will bring to you during the course of the year. So, Merry Christmas to you. And I'll leave you with uh, some wise words from the famous Finnish philosopher Kimi Raikkonen. Do what makes you happy, and as long as you have more drinking days than hangover days, you'll be fine. A very Merry Christmas from everyone at UK Motor Talk and First Take Media.